0: Welcome to another episode of the Underground Bunker Podcast. I'm your proprietor, Tony Ortega, and we have back one of our favorite guests, Mark Bunker, city councilman from the city of Clearwater, Florida. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me back. Well, you've you've done a couple of great things for the bunker. Uh, you know, there's this uh, li- a tra- a labor trafficking lawsuit that was filed back in April of last year by Valeska Paris and a married couple, Gawain and Laura Baxter. All three of them are residents of Australia, but they were all in the Sea Org and they were all uh, on the Free Freewinds uh, Scientology's cruise ship. And they are alleging that they were forced into the Sea Org as children. They were treated horribly. They were basically forced labor on the ship. Just awful, awful allegations. But two things are holding up the lawsuit in an interesting way. One, they are arguing that Scientology is arguing that these uh, Sea Org members signed contracts, which oblige them not to sue in court. And they are supposed to go to arbitration. And Mark, you you went down to the courthouse to hear the arguments on that matter uh, Mm -hmm. and filed a hilarious report for us. And then the other thing that Scientology is doing about it is they do not want David Miscavige to be a defendant. The other defendants have all accepted service and they've got attorneys. There's like five to four different uh, institutional defendants, like the Flag Service Organization and the Flag Ship Service Organization, the (laughs) stuff that runs the ship. But David Miscavige has not accepted service. He's avoided, he's evaded service, the plaintiffs allege, and they're... That's gotten to be such a complicated thing. They had a separate hearing just about that, and you went to that for us. So I wanted to ask you about how that went and your thoughts about some of the arguments that were made. We're recording this on Friday afternoon. We still don't have a ruling on either of those matters. I just checked the docket. Uh, but these are federal judges. They they take their time. And uh, so, you know, this is... Let me tell you, this is not new. David Miscavige has been evading service for years. I know there's a lot of stories people are seeing this week from TMZ and, and others saying, David Miscavige is missing. Like, this is some new story. It's not. <laughs> he's not missing. He's just evading process. He's evading these process servers. He, You know, he he uh, presided at the New Year's Eve party at the Fort Harrison Hotel just three weeks ago. So we know he's not missing. He's just playing cat and mouse. uh, But but also, it's not just that he's keeping himself away from process servers. These attorneys are making some bizarre arguments. Can you, Mark, just set the scene for us? And and I don't think I've been to that particular courthouse. And this was the the main case is being handled by a judge, Thomas Barber. But this is a magistrate judge. Put us in that spot, will you?
1: Well, it it was a... Very nice courtroom, and uh, the judge was a, a youngish woman, um, uh-huh. and, and uh, she impressed me. Um, it was it's always interesting to see the tables worth of attorneys for Scientology's side, uh, <laughs> and then there's our heroes over on our side, um, and uh, it, you know when. When we were waiting for this to to start, uh, I was sitting next to Tracy McManus, who was, of course, reporting for the Tampa Bay Times, uh, right. and um, I thought, you know, well, the, how hard could this be? We should be able to have an answer by the end of this meeting, which I guess was right. nuts, but, but we both agreed that, yeah, it really shouldn't be that difficult. They've tried 27 times. To serve Miss Gavage at five different locations here in Clearwater and five in L.A., and everywhere they went, the process servers were told by security, well, "Not here. I don't know. Uh, why not try? <laughs> why not try somewhere else, like the other side of the country? Because he's not right. here in Florida, for God's sakes." Which uh, is insane, because he is spending. Uh, a lot of time here in Florida. In fact, we we talk to him all the time. Well, not me personally, but he's talking to the city about his uh, devious plans for our downtown. Um, so we know he's around, or right. uh, and- can be around when he wants to be around. Uh, and, and that is incredibly frustrating. That uh, you know, Scientology continues to get away with these games. In fact, um, the uh, attorney for the three defendants uh, or the three plaintiffs in the human trafficking lawsuit, he, he actually said to the judge, "Let's stop this cat and mouse game." Um, and and it was clear that that's what's going on. Uh, the The hearing itself took about ninety minutes, an and hour and a it, half
0: just for that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it was filled with uh, really uh, insane uh, theories and arguments from Scientology's attorneys, or Miss Cavage's attorney was the one who's doing most of the uh, most of the talk. Right, Joseph Terry. Well, let's and let's
0: um, let's just okay. Yeah, so I wanted to go. So the the magistrate judge, uh, her name was uh, Julie S. Speed. Yes, and you said she was on the young side. Yeah, reasonably young. Okay. And then uh, the main attorney for the main case on the plaintiff's side mm-hmm. is Neil Glazer. But for this little circus, the person representing Valeska and the Baxters was Manuel Dominguez? Yes. Could you tell me anything about him? Well, he did a fine job. Um,
1: you know, it's 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 hard to... To not appreciate the fact that he's talking sense, while, <laughs> while Scientology side is is pulling you know the the strangest straws out of the hat to argue, um, you know you just like to be able to have them say to the judge, Your Honor, this is nuts. Please.
0: Well, you know what, Mark, Mark, <laughs> you know, I think attorneys sometimes do that. But in a more, you know, couched in a legal way. And the right. thrust of what he may have been saying may have been just that. Now, on now Miscavige was being represented. Uh, he's being represented in the main case by a former uh, past president of the Florida bar named Bill Shafino. But I believe for this matter, another me- member of the team, a guy named Joseph Terry, was representing him. Is that right? That's right. And he's on That's the right. younger side, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, now, so the plaintiffs were arguing, they made all these attempts, and they and not just attempts to serve. I mean, they've mailed things, they've gone to the Florida Secretary of State, they've jumped through all these hoops, right? Right.
1: Yeah. In fact, you know, that's that's you know what the reason we were there that day is because they they had gone to the lengths of turning to the uh, to the state to who who do they let me let me check the notes here to see who they had to go to the secretary of Ford, state
0: it was the secretary of state yeah secretary of state yeah. right yeah so they had to
1: uh, file some documents saying here's what we we tried to do for, and for the substituted service of process please consider him served and right. Um, so that's what we're waiting on to to see if the judge says okay, uh, he has been served. Um, the The arguments that that uh, really uh, annoyed the heck out of me, uh, and mo- uh, much of it did. I mean, the fact that they were pretending that no one knows where Miscavige lives, uh, right, or, or that he's never been to Florida for God's sake. See, he doesn't live here in Florida. And I know that we've been meeting, as a city, we've been meeting with Miscavige over and over and over. And he he's he wants to sit down with each of the council members uh, sometime soon to pitch his plans for the downtown. Every council member except me. So he's told <laughs> our city managers, no, I'm not sitting down with Bunker. Um, Fine. Fine, just let me know where he's meeting with everyone, and we'll get a process over there. Over there, right? Okay, will you do that for me? I don't have <laughs> to be there. Let me send somebody in my stead. Um, right. So, so it's, I, you know, I just wanted to keep jumping up and saying, "Stop it! Stop it!" <laughs> with this right. nonsense. Uh, yeah. But I am um, a calm person by nature, so right. I, I waited until the end of the uh, the hearing itself to talk to the attorneys and say, if there's anything I can do to help, I'd be, I'd be happy to. Um, right. So, uh, so there was uh, this, this well, let argument. Me, let me
0: point out, let me point Go out ahead. one of the things you brought up that I thought was great. And that is this Joe Terry guy speaking from a scavenge was, was, you know, they they try to twist everything into such strange pretzels. For example, he was saying that there was some change in the law that had something to do with whether or not the person being served as an individual or not. And he seized on this and was going on and on about how the word individual uh, uh, kind of exempted the scavenge. Uh Can you explain how he was trying to make sense of that?
1: Well, the word individual was in the sentence, but it was not uh, only individual. It it, uh, it could also be individual or corporate head, but he uh, just wanted to focus on individual, Your Honor. He's not, Miscavige was not doing any of this as an individual. He was doing this as the chairman of the board uh, 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 <laughs> of Scientology, so you, you got to go after him as an individual. And he didn't benefit at all individually from anything that that uh, goes on in these instances. And the judge gave an oh, come on answer at that point and said he Miss uh, Miscavige has benefited from this. Uh, and uh, not not as an individual, your honor.
0: Um, it's really ludicrous I mean one of the things they like to do is you know everybody who comes out of Scientology that talks to you and talk to me all tell us that David Miscavige is this ruthless micromanager who oversees every single thing in Scientology from top to bottom nothing gets done without his approval but of course the church wants to give the impression that he's just this sort of ecclesiastical Pope who doesn't get his hands dirty with the with the you know individual things and then the other thing is that Scientology very conveniently when it comes to court litigation plays games about whether it's one cohesive thing or whether it's many small individual subsidiaries I mean they play on this stuff so that individual thing plays right into that uh, and then work, it's worked I was gonna point out that the last time we got this much litigation about serving him was in Monique Rathman's lawsuit in Texas in 2013. And they made the same arguments they're making here about how David Miscavige is not really, you know, he doesn't do any business in Texas. He's not really in control, all this silly stuff. And the judge saw through it all and said, no, he can be deposed. He can, he, he should be a defendant in this case. You know, it's still up to the plaintiffs to prove that David Miscavige, you know, uh, is at fault for right. what happened to these people. That's not the, the it, you know, it's not like declaring him guilty or anything. It's just the judge in Texas said, yeah, he could be a part of this case. He can be deposed. They went to the, they appealed that, and I'm sure they'll appeal this. They appealed that in Texas and it went to a higher court. And in Texas, there's this law about apex depositions that, that they've I guess there's some influence with wealthy people there that they've they've written a law that says that just because a CEO is in charge of a company that's being sued doesn't mean he should be have to be deposed and and, and the you know defendant or whatever and so they appealed on that and won and the appeals court says yeah he's a he's a CEO he's protected in Texas which is just mind-blowing yeah incredible so when you saw, when you talked about this whole individual thing, I don't, it might be the opposite of what they were saying in Texas. I'm just saying that that's the kind of game they play. Is David Miscavige the CEO? Is he the leader? Is he just a parishioner? Scientology will say whatever is most advantageous to them, and it, it has nothing to do with the actual truth. Right.
1: Right. In fact, they they were going over this whole uh, point of uh, whether he should be deposed um, because of that very reason, and um, the uh, there was an argument that um, uh, they went through this list of uh, of all these people in Florida who have been um, served in absentia <laughs> absentia. Um, In different cases. Uh, And and some of them were CEOs. Some of them were employees of a company. Some were even a stockholder was sued. Uh, And that all went through fine. Um, But they were arguing, no, in this case, it should not apply to Miscavige, who uh, was simply an individual. Uh, (laughs) So I'm hoping that the judge will see through all of that.
0: Right. And uh, they also tried to make the point that David Miscavige sitting in in his office or not office in California has nothing to do with a ship in the Caribbean.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, Especially since he was an individual. And Miscavige (laughs) doesn't have an office in Florida. Oh, my God. No, he doesn't have an office here. Uh, they tried to pretend that Miscavige doesn't have an office wherever he wants to go. Uh, That's incredible. Miscavige's attorney said, well, listen, I I work for a large law firm, and if I'm working in a different city, uh, I can always find some office space, but I don't have an office there. Same with Miscavige. They they can always find a place for him to sit down and get some work done. Oh, yeah, Miscavige doesn't have an office, for God's sakes. Uh, Right. But uh, one thing, uh, one thing that I failed to mention uh, when I was talking about uh, uh, the the other point, um, the uh, it was even brought up that Hubbard himself, while he was hiding in the desert at the end of his life, he was served in absentia. Hubbard himself, and I thought, well, that is a great argument. And Ms. Cabbage's yeah. attorney uh, uh, said that, well, uh, mm-hmm, no, not at all. Scientology has been so restructured since the time of Miscavige that it's not <laughs> the same organization anymore. And and oh, Miscavige wow. and Hubbard, they're the completely different roles in the organization. It's like, oh, wow. my God. Wow. wow. That's ballsy. Yeah. And hopefully the judge will see through all of this. I, I have, um, I have started to to worry about any uh, case that goes in front of a judge now. It, it seems like nobody has any sense when they're making these rulings.
0: Well, that's you're you're absolutely right because I remember when the Danny Masterson accusers were dealing with the arbitration motions in front of Judge Clyfield and. Judge Clyfield noticed that this idea of arbitration is based on commerce, <laughs> and he said, uh, "Does Scientology even engage in commerce? I mean, it was one of this wonderful <laughs> moment where somebody dared to like raise the question of what the hell does Scientology do?" And uh, I thought it was amazing because the Scientology attorneys at that point filed some documents, basically saying, "Yeah, you know, we we definitely." Uh, you know, deal in commerce and that's our people and we can do with them whatever we want. I mean, some when the, when the attorneys are backed against the wall in litigation, they will sometimes just spell it out and just say that, you know, they can treat people however they want to treat people, people like Valeska, whatever they want to do. And they have said that in some of these other cases. But, you know, when we saw Judge Clifield say that, we thought, okay, this judge gets it. He's going to come in and say this whole contract thing is nonsense. But he didn't. He came into court and said, "Yeah, contract's a contract," and yeah. it's just like what? I mean, that's why I'm trying not to get too excited about some of the things Judge Barber said that you reported uh, earlier, because you were there for that hearing too, right? Where they were arguing about the arbitration issue, and and you ca- you captured beautifully uh, some just ludicrous arguments in that hearing, and that I, what was the example Judge Barber said? He gave them a hypothetical. He said, "Okay, if." if this person is signing a, a, a oh. contract with Scientology with a gun, literally with a gun to their heads, would and you consider a video that? there's a videotape
1: of it. There's a video. Right, and there's of, a videotape.
0: <laughs> so
1: you can see the video of them having a gun at his head saying sign the <laughs> sign the paper. Uh, would you consider that? Um, oh, I forgot. I forget the duress. Uh, uh, duress. duress, yes. Would, would that be under duress? And Scientology's attorney had to say, well, no, Your Honor, I mean, he signed the document. Uh, (laughs) You have to accept that he signed it, even even if there was a gun to his head. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, The judge was just flabbergasted by that, as were we all. But, um, you know, the judge may well come back and
0: say, yeah, you're right, he signed the document. Well that's I mean, the thing about that case uh, if we if we focus on the arbitration of it and judge barber in the main case uh like judge Clyfield, it seems like okay this guy gets it he he can see how ridiculous this whole notion is that you know just because Valeska and the Baxters were forced to sign something without even knowing what it was 30 years ago doesn't mean they can't sue over the way they were treated uh, but the i for me the main Uh, thing that worries me about Judge Barber is the precedent in his court. That that is literally the same courtroom But back then it was Judge Whittemore's courtroom where the Garcia case came through And and Judge Whittemore decided yeah contract's a contract and forced the Garcias into arbitration and then the Garcias appealed and it took three years Mark three years and then the 11th Circuit upheld it and said yep Contract's a contract. So that's hanging over Barber's courtroom. And I think it's, it's yeah. you know, the the answer I get from when I ask people about that is, yeah, the Garcias were, you know, OT8s and they were investing money. They wanted, they, they felt they'd been lied to. This is children who were held as right. slaves on a ship. And, right. you know, they're hoping that that difference in subject matter will maybe convince this judge that he doesn't have to follow that precedent. So that's the thing we're looking for in, in that main case. And then in this side issue about Miscavige with this magistrate Judge Sneed, uh, it sounds like maybe she kind of felt that way about Scientology's arguments too. Was she Did she look kind of skeptical about what Terry was saying?
1: You know, there were a few times where she uh, seemed very skeptical, especially when she was pointing out things like, Miscavige has benefited from this. Right, uh, right. And uh, there was a, another point where uh, Scientology's, or Miscavige's attorney was saying, well, Your Honor, the, this uh, this thing with the individual, I mean, even in the older version of this ruling, uh, it, it still said the same thing. And the judge said, no, it didn't. It doesn't uh, say that. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, but I was in Barber's courtroom yeah. For that hearing, uh, when uh, when it was laid out that this procedure, this uh, arbitration procedure, has never been used, ever, in the history of Scientology, that they're trying to, to force to happen now. Uh, and the judge asks, how, how many times have you used this arbitration process? Never.
0: I they thought that never. was insane. They said never. Well, that's that's not true. They used it on the Garcias, but go ahead.
1: No, that's what I mean. That, uh, that's what I mean in, in, uh, in the Garcia case is What I was talking about, I was in the the courtroom for that. Uh, oh, that okay. Was a, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was a uh, yeah. that was a moment where I thought, okay, well, there you go. They're right. doing this dog and pony show about how they have this amazing arbitration process that uh, certainly would be the way to go. And the judge, specific, you know, just flat out said, how many times has it been used? Uh, never. That's and I thought, well, right there, that's got to have a lot of weight to it. But no, it didn't.
0: Nope. It still didn't sway him. You're right. No, they, uh, I know they've threatened. It. The Garcia's was not the first case when it came up. I, I know when Bert Shippers and Lynn Hoverson sued a few years earlier, it came up in their case. I don't know that they had to go, they went through, through with it, but they must not have. But um, that, you know, it's funny because the Hoverson uh, Shippers case is the first time I learned about the Hooters connection. <laughs> uh-huh. And, the, and the, Hooters, the Hooters case is great because, you know, the you must know this as a city councilman in Clearwater, Florida, the original Hooters is in Clearwater, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So uh, at one point, Hooters was sued by a woman who worked there. And uh, she was forced into arbitration because you know, Scientology is not the only organization in America that has these arbitration contracts. Sure. Uh, Hooters did too. If you wanted to work for Hooters, you had to sign an employee contract. And it said if you have any disputes, you have to go to arbitration. You can't sue. Well, the, the Hooters case is interesting because uh, the appeals court, the, you know, the, the court said, yeah, sorry, your contract is a contract, you gotta go to arbitration. But then the appeals court said, wait a minute, this contract she signed not only said she had to go to arbitration, but that Hooters got to choose the arbitrator. And the appeals the appeals court says, no, 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 you can't do that. You can you can force somebody into arbitration. But once you do that, that's independent arbitration. It's out of your hands. The arbitrator should be an independent person selected by both sides. And you know, when I saw that, I thought, "Well, that's killer for Scientology." You know, because the the you know, I remember when, when Shippers and Hoberson were suing, uh, and this was on the in the Seattle area, they were bringing that up. They're saying Scientology, okay, Scientology might be able to force us into arbitration, but they can't choose the arbitrator. They can't say the arbitrator sh- the arbitrator has to be a member in good standing. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know when that's going to come up because it seems like the Hooters case is really uh, a good one for Scientologists. And I, I I think they've brought it up. But anyway, we got off on a tangent there. You're right. It, it, the Garcia case was the first actual arbitration. It was a complete joke. Luis was telling me that he wasn't allowed to have a cell phone on him, couldn't have an attorney. They didn't yeah. keep a, a transcript because they wanted them to come out with no evidence of how crazy it was. Sure. Other than what they were saying. And they went back to Judge Whittemore in Tampa and they said, look, and they did it in LA. They went back to Tampa and they said, look, this thing was an utter joke. They, they didn't allow 90% of the evidence we brought. The arbitrators were all Scientologists of good standing. They're not going to listen to what we had to say. And Judge Whittemore says, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's yep. Jeff, Mark, what do we do about these judges, man?
1: It's so frustrating. Uh, I found that... Um... Dealing with politicians um, at at every level, or law enforcement at every level. When I I, I turn to the FBI or or the state attorney and uh, for some help, and they go Scientology. No, I I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. Um, and you know, it's the same situation as it was when Scientology snuck into Clearwater back in 75. I, yeah. I have that interview that I did with um, Ray Emmons, who was in charge of investigating Scientology for 20 years. And he sat down with me and, and uh, on tape, he said, uh, listen, we would go to the state officials, we go to the federal officials, and um, no one would help. They'd say, uh, are they going to come after me? No, thanks. It's a religion. Uh, nothing has changed.
0: Yep. Well, there's but what's definitely... uh, well, the
1: the one thing that has changed, though, is public opinion yeah. and public knowledge yeah, of how sure. Scientology operates. You would think there'd Absolutely. be a greater understanding now of what Scientology puts its members through and former members. Uh, there should be some justice. Well, there justice.
0: are some judges, there are some judges that seem uh, to take the time to learn that because it's in the, you know, and it's legitimate for them to learn it because it's in the case sure. in front of them. And I'm sure. thinking specifically of judge Charlene Albedo at, at Los Angeles, Superior court, who's handling the Danny Masterson criminal trial. She has really done her homework. Now she's made some decisions that both sides are unhappy with, but I, I think you got to give her credit for at least being very, uh, com, you know, conversant with the concepts. Whereas you know, yeah. some of these other judges just you you can tell they just don't bother. They are just like you know whatever, and we don't know about Barber and Sneed yet. We don't know, and you know there's there's uh, there are few people in this country more powerful than a federal judge. You know that nobody tells them what to do, uh, and that's good though because they they should have the power, the independence, to look at nonsense and call it for what it is. I just don't know if they're going to.
1: Yeah, that's that's the um, uh, that's the scary thing uh, you know well that was sensible that makes sense let's go with that nope nope not gonna happen it's a religion
0: <laughs> right well since you were in the courtroom I believe that was January 20th was that uh, hearing uh, uh, five days later a document uh, was filed in that uh case, which includes an email that's mildly interesting. And I was just going to read a couple things from it. This is a, a, an email from one of uh, the plaintiff's attorneys, just sort of uh, memorializing the interactions between the attorneys on both sides after that hearing, uh, trying to work things out. And she writes that uh, the first thing the plaintiff said to Biscavage's attorneys was, look, why don't you accept service, right? I mean, you're the guy's attorney. Yeah. All we're trying to do is, is get make sure he's aware that he's being sued. That's all this is about. Right. right. Why don't you accept service? And then we'll drop the motion, which apparently would cost both sides to take care of or whatever. So, you know, you save a little money. We skip all this nonsense. And the Miscavige's attorney came back and said, How about instead you just drop Miscavige from the case? (laughs) Well, hey, look, they're being paid, you know. Yeah, sure.
1: But in that hearing with uh, with Judge Sneed, she actually said to Miscavige's attorney and all the Scientology attorneys, Okay, are one of you going to accept service for him? Nope. Nope, nope. A sea of no's uh, came wow. through. And and it's like, really? Well, can you just tell us where his home is? Can you do that? Nope, we can't do that either. No one knows. The one thing that uh, I did think was uh, something that, that could be exploited, it, um, it came out toward the end of the hearing that they had not gone to flag. Uh, not flag, but uh, to gold. They hadn't
0: tried gold to serve base. them out
1: at Golden, yeah, Golden era Studios. Yeah. Um, So uh, there's a there's a way for Scientology's attorneys to say, well, they see they didn't try hard enough, Your Honor. Right. Right. Set, send and, them out to know, Gold I mean, so they can be ignored there twenty seven times.
0: Right, and Gold is a reference to this large international management base near Hemet, California. It's called Gold Base. It's called It Base. Uh, it's really important in Scientology history. But, you know, my reporting, uh, talking to various people that have come out of there in recent years, is Miscavige stopped going there several years ago. And he really? basically abandoned the place. Oh, yeah. He, well, he still has a house cold. there, doesn't he? Well, yeah. I mean, sort of. I mean, you know, Int is interesting because uh, he did a lot of, re- you know, renovating there. And they built this basic monument to him, which is called Building 50, which is this incredible. Uh-huh. Gigantic office building with lavish interiors. We actually have photos of it, thanks to John Russo. Uh, you know, like they've got like a three hundred thousand dollar desk. Okay? Yeah, I remember the photos. Uh, and and it's it's an office building. You could easily have like two hundred employees working in there full time. And I've talked to people that worked in there with Miscavige, and I said, "What's the most number of employees who were ever in that building at one time?" And I was told five or six, so it's just this—it's <laughs> massive, incredibly expensive, top—you know—quality building that never gets used. And that's when he was there. But I've been told—I was told that he, he stopped going to go in base, uh, at least in 2015 or 2016, something like that. And he hasn't been back. So yeah, they'll use that as an excuse. Oh, you didn't try to serve him at Gold. Well, then you know you didn't try hardness. He was he was probably there, but my the reporting I've done suggests that he hasn't gone near the place in a long time. It, it's you know one of the reasons is because mm-hmm. he built SMP in town. Once they built that movie studio on on uh, 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 is it Santa Monica Boulevard, and uh, uh, it's the old KCET studios.
1: Yeah, I that used to live uh, live right near there.
0: Yeah, it's nice, it's nice. uh it's really become his favorite place now. I mean, again, he doesn't spend much time there, but that's that's what what gold was known for. Golden era really moved to SMP, and Miscavige himself moved to Florida. He's been in Florida for years now. This is yeah. so silly. They're pretending he's not. And like you said, you he interacts with you guys with the city.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just this uh, this uh, week we were. Um... I was talking with our new interim city manager who uh, told me that they're getting the uh, details together of what Miscavige has planned for the downtown. Uh, They didn't have all of the information to give to the city manager yet, but the chairman's going to get that to her. Um, So uh, the chairman uh, is deeply involved with every aspect of everything that Scientology does here. And the chairman's uh, going to be happy to to sit down with people here, uh, where he lives and works, uh, while pretending not to. Um, it's insane. When, when you were talking about the the big. Uh, uh office building with five or six people in it i thought that must were must be where miscavige got the inspiration for uh, ideal orgs
0: we need big uh, beautiful I, buildings with with nobody in them that's a good question on the timing of that i'm not sure about that um Rinder has an interesting story he tells about that the ideal org it came about it was about 2002 2003 up to that point there'd never been an issue, you know, there were these uh they weren't, you know, beautiful buildings or anything, but they did the job, whatever. But then two things I'm told changed. One was Buffalo was going to be destroyed through eminent domain. The city of Buffalo mm-hmm. was going to build out a car, you know, car park or something whatever, and they were seizing the land of their their org there. So they had to build a new one anyway. And then the other thing Rinder talks about is and he, I, I think he's not sure, hundred percent sure if this is true or not. But what he had heard was that Tom Cruise had brought a friend to the Tampa Org and was embarrassed oh, that it was yeah. kind of sh- that it was kind of shabby. So that's where the Ideal Orgs program started in Buffalo and Tampa. Those were the first two, and Miscavige decided, okay, we're not just going to replace these. We're going to really upgrade and make these. And the other thing that I think it's important about Ideal Orgs is he changed them from just simple meeting houses where people could talk to people to these high-tech, you know, sort of museum-type places that would tell people the story of Scientology through displays rather than yes. human beings. Have yeah. you been in one of these ideal orders, Park? Have you seen As... what that's lying? You Well, you were at the opening for the Portland one.
1: Uh, yes, I was not allowed to get inside there, but... Here uh, in, um, in Tampa, uh, I, I did go to the grand opening of the Ideal Org um, a few years back, and right. I took a cameraman with me, um, and I shot some video inside the Ideal Org. Um, now, inside, I was shooting my own video with, with my phone uh but i had a cameraman outside trying to to get some other footage uh of the event um and and i walked in i just went in uh and signed my name into the guest book when i arrived there i i don't lie about who i am i i said i'm mark bunker and uh, they said welcome and uh, i you know this was uh you know at least Twelve years after Xenu TV and, and they knew who I was. but um, uh, they they didn't uh, they didn't stop me at all. they didn't recognize me. Um, and we went to one of the the displays that this woman was saying, "Oh, you, you need to find out um, the history of Hubbard here and <laughs> let me start this video for you. And right. she pushes the button and nothing's playing. She can't get it to work. She has to call over help. Uh, it starts to play in Spanish. Oh, my God, what do we do? What do we, they're fumbling around with it. And I have all of that on video that uh, I oh, haven't wow. used yet. Um, uh, and eventually, uh, eventually they caught on to me. Uh, after I, I left the building and, and uh, I, I was walking outside and they had a yellow um, volunteer minister's tent outside. Uh, and they had a table there for you to to lie on and get an assist. Uh, and and uh, I sh- was shooting a little video with them um, and asking all about the assists and what the volunteer ministers do. And they said, would you like, would you like an assist? Um, and they wanted me to lie down on my stomach. And then they were running their fingers down my spine. Oh, boy. Uh, and, and. In order to get some footage of this, I, I actually handed my phone to uh, one of the Scientologists uh, working there at the display. I said, would you mind shooting some video? And so he actually <laughs> shot some video for me. Uh, oh, and wow. as they're moving their fingers down my spine, I went, oh, my God, I've got my um, audio um, microphone battery pack. At the end of my spine there, so they're gonna, they're gonna catch on to me then, and they actually, you know, they they bumped across it and didn't say anything, and uh, um, you know, I managed to get out of there. But um, by then, the the uh, guy holding my camera um, was really fed up with me and just gave it back to me. I'm, now they wouldn't return the phone to me, but uh, at that point, he said, "Here, here." Um, But he was the skeptical one from the get-go. I was talking to this woman uh, at the volunteer minister's display, and she was the chatty one, and he was sitting there with a dour look on his face, which is what made it even more fun when I said, hey, would you shoot some video for me? Okay.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was was an old cigar factory, right, that they turned into an ideal order? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they do some really nice projects with some very interesting buildings. Oh sure, but but again, I just don't think Miscavige trusts his own people anymore. You know, you talk to people that got into Scientology in the 60s and 70s and they'll tell you about how nice it was for another person to tell you about Scientology's potential and what it could do for you and it was it was it was all about that interaction sure. that would get people in. And today Miscavige just doesn't trust his own people to do that. He wants people to be brought in through these displays and these videos that he has carefully crafted. And you end up with this stale museum setting that nobody goes near. Uh, Because, you know, these things have been opening for 20 years now and they have not produced the rush of new people that he promised.
1: I went to the Phoenix ideal org, um, many years back. Um, yep. And it was a beautiful, huge facility. uh, There were maybe a half a dozen cars parked outside, um, and the place was empty except for me and like this teenage kid man in the desk. uh, And he just said, oh, well, you know, go ahead and wander around. watch a video. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It was a nice kid, um, and I got a letter from him because I gave him my name and address. I got a letter from him uh, a while after that saying, "Hey, come on back to the org." <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, it's nice to know that I, I'm on the uh, list. Um, uh, no, I, I I won't be returning. Thank you. Yeah, I did wander into the New York org as well. Um, okay, I've been and in there I, too. I was yeah, yeah, I was actually. Uh, um, Having some mm. medical distress, nothing major. I was just hot and really um, feeling faint. And right. i they, they were the closest place, so I went in there. <laughs> and they said, oh, have a seat. Uh, we'll get you some water. Yeah. So they were really nice to me. Uh, and they put me in uh, an actual screening room and showed me uh, one of their videos and left me alone yep. in there. Um, yep. So... Uh, there was a time when I could do that—just wander in somewhere—and uh, um, now I can't. I tried that um, in uh, Santa Ana in California, uh, Orange right. County. I went into the ideal org there, and after about sixty seconds, they they recognized me and threw
0: me out. Well, it's uh-huh. not just you. I mean, uh, it's remarkable to hear that when you were at Tampa that they would allow anybody in that had a camera or anything like that. They've gotten much more strict about that. The last couple of Ideal orgs opened were in Kansas City and Ventura. And I know, uh, oh, and then there was Detroit. And I remember talking to some local reporters who just wanted to go to the opening in Detroit. And they were told, nope, nope. So, I mean, it's it's really tight now very controlled. I think the next one they're going to open is Chicago. Austin might beat them. Definitely going to be one of those two. They were ready even before the pandemic, and they've just been sitting there waiting for their opening. So sometime in the next few weeks. So listen, our readers in Chicago and Austin, what you can do for us is go by that building just once in a while. We're looking for a giant ribbon. Once you see this giant ribbon being put on the outside of the building, that's when we know the next weekend is going to be when it's happening. So if you could please keep an eye on the 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 Austin Ideal Org is 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 was built in the same place as the old one, right across the street from uh, UT Austin, and it's you know that one's that one makes a lot of sense. You got a lot of college kids walking around. Some of the other new ones they've built are really in out of the way places. The Chicago one is downtown and it's a really high building. If somebody could just keep an eye to see if a, a ribbon shows up there, because we'd love to know. We'd love to know when they're going to do it. I don't know that we'll ever have as much fun though, Mark, as a day you tried to uh cover the Portland org opening for us. I mean, that was, that was something, was not it? It, it was.
1: It was and, and, uh, you know, I was thinking about this, um, Miscavige is such a coward. I mean, he's ducking yep. service. He he does yep. not want anyone, uh, to, uh, hear a word of what he says, uh, outside of Scientologists. I, right. I secretly went up to Portland quietly. Um, and, uh, I snuck into town the day before the event and talked to, uh, a person running, um, a sporting goods store right across the right. street from where Miscavige was speaking. And they gave yes. me permission, uh, to come back, uh, and, and film from the second floor window. Um, and when I came back the next day at the day of the event, the, the, you know, streets were packed with people. And as I'm going to keep my head down, I'm just going to quietly walk through the crowd here and get into the store. I did not bring my big camera uh, so I could, you know, just sneak everything that I needed in without them spotting something suspicious. But as soon as I set uh, a foot across the entryway to the sporting goods store, I heard somebody behind me go, Mr. Bunker? And I turned around and the guy recognized me and and panicked and fled uh, to report that I was there. Uh, oh. And before before too long, um, there was a police officer who came up there and said that uh, they were worried that I had a bomb with me in my camera bag. Oh, and they in- insisted on uh, going through the bag. OK, go ahead. There's no bomb in there, but feel free. Uh, and the, the Scientology handler was pacing back and forth. Um, watching all of this, thinking, "Oh God, we, I got to get rid of this guy. Uh, I'm going to be in big trouble if I don't get rid of this guy." Well, they freaked out the the uh, the store owner so much that uh, he said, "I'm sorry, you're, you're not going to be able to shoot here today." So, so that had me scrambling.
0: Thing, yeah, that's the thing is that you know, if I don't have a problem with the police officer being told he might have been lied to, but being sure. told that, hey, this guy might have a bomb. And you check yeah. it out. That's you know, that's that's Scientology's being idiots and the and the police kind of have to go along with it. But he you know, right. he did his job, it didn't bother you. But what the more insidious thing they do is just put fear into people and he put yeah. they put fear into the business owner so that he was like, I can't have you here and they kicked right. you out. Yeah. Wow. Right. But then you went At, to a bar, right? Yeah, there was a there was a bar, I guess it was a gay bar,
1: uh, a few doors down. Uh, and there Wait. was a, uh, you know, uh, I I ducked into the bar. I actually had that police officer kind of escorting me out of that store. And I went, oh, look, it's a bar. And I, I ducked in there and I said to the bartender, hey, is it OK if I, I go up to the roof and, and shoot some video up there? And he said, oh, yeah, go ahead. Feel free. <laughs> uh, and so I told the cop, oh, I got permission to shoot on top of the bar. So there was a ladder, a steep ladder, rickety ladder that went up to the rooftop and I went up there and there was already Scientologists, uh, camera people setting up to shoot the event from there. So I set up my little camera next to theirs and started filming some of the uh, earlier preliminary stuff at the event. Uh, but they reported back to Scientology and, and, um, the police came back and they had Spooked. They had called the bar owner, right. and uh, spooked him. Uh, so yeah. uh, permission was revoked, and I had to get off of uh, the bar roof. And then the police were serious about escorting me away from the properties uh, and outside the the uh, the district that uh, that Scientology had permission to use with film permits. So they wanted to get me out of that boundary and say, okay, you're not allowed back in there. Um, and I looked across the street at, at, at um, uh, like a high-rise building. And I said, well, but if I was up there, I'd be fine, right? Oh, sure, yeah. if you were up there. Uh, so I went and found somebody who lived in that building, and they allowed me in to go and shoot from the top of their building. Right. Uh, and still Scientology tried desperately to to prevent me from shooting anything. And one of the, um, uh, I forget his name now, but it it was one of the people who was harassing um, Marty Rathbun at the time. It was, uh, it was John
0: Allender, one of the squirrel busters.
1: Yes, Yeah. Showed up there very angrily trying to bully me and get me out of there saying, you're not allowed to be here. Well, I had permission from, you know, luckily one of the, uh, uh one of the resident managers was was there uh and she was on my side cuz the, the Allender came back with a cop and the officer was telling me you don't have permission to be here and I said well yeah i'm 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 guests of these folks who live here and work here and, and the officer turned to uh the woman in charge and is that true yes yeah he he, he can stay and then they had to kick uh, Allender out of there. Um, <laughs> but uh, but while Allender was out there, he was trying to grab my camera, which was pa- oh. you know perilously on the ledge of, of the building. Uh, I had to keep fending him off. It was just insane uh, the yeah. lengths that they were going to to you know Allender was was desperate to not allow Miss Cabbage to be photographed. Uh, and so once he was gone and Miscavige was about to, to uh, appear uh, and I, I had a, a good shot of him on the stage and I could hear everything that had been going on before then from a distance. But still, the sound system allowed the other speakers to be heard where I was. And when Miscavige came on the stage, they turned the microphone way down, the speakers down, Uh, so he could not be heard at my position. I was like, wow, Miscavige is so paranoid. Incredible. uh, Yeah. I'm sure through every step of this way, Miscavige was saying, you got to stop him. Stop him now. (laughs) <laughs> and when that failed, when Allender said, "Oh, he, no, he's still filming," that must have been when Slappy said, "Okay, turn the turn the sound down."
0: And you know um, what he told Allender? He told him Y S C O H B. That's huh? a that's an acronym. You may you may not be familiar with that acronym. That's what he would tell Mike Greener and Tommy Davis. Yeah. Uh, Oh well, you know, it's my podcast. I can say what it stands for. It stands sure. for you suck cock on Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, that one. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> That's what Miscavige would say to Rinder and Davis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a foul mouthed thug. There's just no question. But he was when he was he wasn't just instructing people to turn down the sound so Mark Bunker couldn't record him. He was screaming obscenities at them the whole time. That's what we know about this guy. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that was a great day. I mean, it was it was it was tough for me because I, I kept losing contact with you and I was worried about you, but then I'd hear from you again, and it ended up being great. And, you know, and in the end, you know, we got some video from a distance of this building being open. What what were they uh-huh. so panicked about? You know, sure. it's not like I mean, it was, what, what you went through was heroic and fun. That was a great story. But ultimately, what were they worried we were going to do, you know? And even if I had
1: stayed in that sport, sporting goods store and shot a nice video of the presentation, what would have been the difference? Yeah. We would have heard Miscavige say his, oh, my God, we're expanding. And my God, we're going ideal. And it's amazing. <laughs> yeah okay, he'll give us another long, dull speech filled with superlatives and everything will be fine. (laughs) Exactly. But he is so insane. And then the the other thing that happened here in Clearwater when I I came back to town, there was uh, one point where um, Sarah Heller uh, encountered me on the street with a police officer outside one of the Scientology events. And as I approached trying to walk past them, she said, 10 feet. What? (laughs) What? What?" She was trying to say, you know, there's an injunction. You can't come within 10 feet of any Scientologist. And she was all dressed up in fancy dresses. So, well, how would I know you're a Scientologist? And I didn't recognize her. But she said, oh, come on. You know who I am. Well, unfortunately, (laughs) I didn't. But the police officer with her said, "Okay, yeah, you can't come this way. You've got to walk all the way around the superpower building uh, to get over to the corner you want to get to. I said, well, can't I just like walk out uh, onto the street here and pass, you know, at the side of these cars to get around you? No, no, that's breaking the law. You have to walk all the way around the street. Meanwhile, a couple of the critics who were there to to pick it, um, they walked right past them with no problem. Um, And Finally, um, Sarah thought, well, she she won this one, so I'm going to start walking away. And as soon as she did, I just walked down the street and got where I wanted to go. But it was just nuts. So after that event, um, when they tried the 10-foot thing and the officer seemed to be okay with it, yeah, you got to stay 10 feet away from a Scientologist. At the at the uh, next event, uh, Miscavige was opening up another building in Clearwater, and I arrived. Uh, and as I drove up to the scene, I could see that they had placed a Scientologist every ten feet away uh, on the streets <laughs> around the building,
0: Incredible. trying to
1: make uh, make it impossible for me to be anywhere near there. Wow. Uh, and there was officers. Um, at the scene and I walked by them and I walked by all the Scientologists and I just, uh, went on my way and the police did nothing about it. Uh, and after that, the police department said, no, we're not going to have any more nonsense about this injunction. Uh, we're not going to, uh, apply it to you or anyone else. Um. Because Scientology was just gaming the system so much over nonsense. Right. Well,
0: and I also think some credit should go to Darth Zander, Alex yeah. Galey, who's an attorney, uh, because he came, he was making frequent trips to Clearwater and was doing some protesting and filming. And they tried to use the injunction on him. Yeah. And he took it to court and made sure they understood that it only applied to the people named in the injunction. And also, if you look carefully at it, it only applies to protests. It's yes. not like anytime Mark Bunker's walking down the street, he's got to stay ten feet away from people. That's a misinterpretation of, of what it is.
1: A but perso- I think purposeful
0: uh, misinterpretation. Right. And I think, you know, uh the the police were forced to take a better look at it, thanks to darth sanders work in litigation and 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 you yeah. know and of course now that you're city councilman they have to so i think that thing's dead and buried now i hope it's it's so, so silly
1: oh it's still around but yeah you know the police department aren't um, uh, using it to, to stop anyone from doing anything anymore right
0: well uh you know when you think about things like that when they would space people specifically to keep Mark Bunker away. Then you know when they go into court and they act all innocent and they act like, well, judge, it's, you know, he doesn't really run things. You know, you know, they're lying. And this, this is what one of the point I've tried to make is that the U S courts just don't seem to be set up to deal with something that calls itself a church that actually always operates in bad faith always every single thing they do is in bad faith (laughs) and i think judges are confused by that they just they just can't seem to get their head around the the thing that as long as the scientologist or an attorney working for scientology as long as their lips are moving they're lying and once you realize that then things should become a lot more clear about what they're saying about miscavage you know and I mean, come on. We know he's been in Clearwater. Scientology itself put out a flyer that I put on the substack a few days ago showing him at the New Year's Eve celebration at the Fort Harrison Hotel. Of course, Miscavige yeah. is in Clearwater. So, you know, for them to say, no, you shouldn't be looking for him. You should be looking for him in California. It's just a bunch of lies. I and mean, I, I'm just grateful that you were there to capture these crazy, bizarre arguments from their attorneys. And also, you do a wonderful job writing those reports. I don't know if anybody told you, but that's just some very skillful writing, work. <laughs> well, thank you.
1: I'm I don't serious. think it meets the, it doesn't meet the uh, AP standards of journalism. Uh, it doesn't uh, fit into the same uh, uh, category as as Tracy McManus's reports for uh, for the Tampa Bay Times. But I try to make it amusing
0: uh, for hey, for Tra- you Tracy and McManus. the audience who understands. Tracy McManus is first rate. She's absolutely great. But, you know, the, the bunker has a style. The underground bunker has a style. Mark Bunker's style matches it. So I appreciate that so much. And hopefully we'll get to have you attend something else for us. But, Mark, thank you so much for bringing us up today. We still don't – It's it's the end of the day on Friday. We still don't have a ruling. I guess uh, we'll just have to wait for next week. And uh, maybe after that, we can talk about that again. Mark, thank you so much for helping us out. Well,
1: thanks for having me back. Now I'm going
0: down in bunker town again, again,
1: again to witness history. Ride the storm, wait to see how is